0: Welcome to the Fish Nerds, where we talk about fish, fishing, and eating fish. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd of the podcast. With me today is my kid Zoe. Zoe, how are you? Good. Good. And how old are you?
1: I'm 10 years old.
0: 10 years old. and is not your first time being on the podcast. Nope. No. And why are you on the podcast today?
1: Dad couldn't find anyone to be on his podcast. Because I
0: couldn't people. find anybody else to do it. So, hey, what holiday is coming up uh, just in a day Halloween. or so? Halloween's coming up. Right. And to, to um, celebrate Halloween, we're going to talk about some of the five scariest, most feared fish on the planet Earth. Can you think of any scary fish?
1: I thought of one, but I couldn't remember the name. I think they're called googly eyes, but I'm not
0: sure. I'm definitely, if there is a fish called googly eyes, it's totally scary. It,
1: its eyes, when it, it can, when it looks up, it doesn't have to swim. Its eyes just go look through the top of its head. Its eyes just look through the top of its head. It has a clear head so you can see like the eye.
0: Really oh, that is the grossest thing I've ever heard. It's really cool. so I'll have to do some Googling around to find out these googly-eyed fish that you're yeah. talking about. So in, d- in addition to talking about the googly-eyed, scary, five scariest fish on Earth, Doc Martin is here to talk about how the moon impacts fish behavior. Do you think the moon impacts people behavior? No. No. Well, a lot of people do. A lot of people think that a full moon, people act crazier than they do, say, on a waxing gibbous moon or other kinds of moon phases. So we're going to find out how the moon impacts fish. Also, uh, I met some guys who are making a a new website uh, called fisherguiding.com, and they're going to share with us how they connect anglers with guide services. Uh, and just for the record, the have now signed up to be part of that website. And our friend Hugo is back with a culinary delight. Uh, his segment is called Killing Fish and Time with Hugo. So that adds that scary. Killing fish is scary, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: By the way, how do you feel about killing fish?
1: I'm fine, unless it's called a goldfish.
0: You don't um, like killing goldfish?
1: Well, because it would be your pet goldfish that died.
0: Yeah, yeah. Although you can catch goldfish in the wild.
1: Yes, I know. I'd eat one of those in a day.
0: Yeah. And just by the way, on a little bit of a sidebar, next week on the show, Doc Martin and Fish Guy Josh are going to be here to talk all about goldfish. So it's going to be very, very exciting next week. Nice. But let's start right in here. Let's not waste any more time. Let's talk about the five scariest fish. And we're going to do this today, Zoe, is we're going to one fish at a time and then we'll have a segment and then more fish and we'll go from there okay got it all right so the number five scariest fifth this is five from the top so fifth is pretty scary it's called the giant devil catfish uh, and this devil catfish comes from southern Asia and they got their name because they can be a huge size and weight you can see a picture right now um, at fishners.com so are you looking at a picture describe that fish
1: um, it looks like it looks a lot like a catfish.
0: Yeah, it is a catfish, and how that which we said, but it actually has a kind of wider, broader face, and like these like whiskers that that come out. I
1: noticed that. Uh,
0: The devil heads giants can grow up to seven feet long and weigh up to two hundred pounds. What's even worse (laughs) is they're known for attacking people. Right? It's believed that a single or a group of, of these catfish were responsible for numerous attacks on humans in the Kali River, somewhere between Nepal and India, in the period between 1998 and 2007. Over time, these fish developed a taste for our flesh. Guess how they developed that taste for flesh, Zoe?
1: I have no idea. All
0: right. Well, a lot of uh, cultures, when they when their people die, they float them out in the river and burn them on a funeral pyre. Oh. And it is said that, that floating those bodies out in the river and burning them started feeding the fish, and the fish got a taste for human flesh. So that's the devil catfish, giant devil catfish. Okay. Yeah. That was number five, right? We have more coming, don't you worry. So... Uh, let's talk a little bit about how the moon impacts fish's behavior. On Facebook, I put a poll out. By the way, if you're not already part of our Facebook group, get there. We've got a Fish Nerds Facebook group, and that's where all the action happens. And we asked the question, what moon phase is best for fishing? Do, so, do you know the phases of the moon?
1: Uh, yes, I do. All right, tell us some. Um, so first, the new moon, which is you can't see any moon at all. And then, for, then there's a waxing Crescent and a waxing crescent um, is like a sliver of a moon. After you get the first quarter, which looks like a half moon, people normally call it, but it's not. Then you get the waxing gibbous, which is kind of like just the um, waxing crescent was taken off the full moon. A
0: little slice of the moon's um, off. Yeah. Yep.
1: And then the full moon, and the full moon is actually just a half moon because you never see the other side of the moon. Ever ever. It's called The Dark Side of the Moon. And then you got a, a waiting gibbous. Uh, then after, you got a third quarter, Then, a waiting crescent. And, a waiting. and then back to new again.
0: Yeah, so we did a poll on Facebook, Zoe, to see what people thought. Now, by, by doing a poll on Facebook, are we doing science? By just asking people what do they think? Is that science? Nope. No, why not?
1: Uh, because people have their opinions.
0: It doesn't matter what they think. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Right. Uh, but we did it anyway, and most people say all of the phases of the moon are the best for fishing. Oh,
1: okay.
0: and, and and we had some comments under it, and our friend Daniel said, "If you if you're married with kids, you want to fish whatever you can." Uh, Robert Otis said, "Full moon for trout and salmon family, and new moon for game fish like burbot, pike, bass, and catfish." Uh, Brian McGilvra, big fan of the podcast here, he's always on our show. Uh, said whatever mood phase it happens to be when he's not working. LOL. So. Uh, it all really depends on your personality. Do you ever care about the moon when you're fishing? No. No. I sometimes look at full moon and go fishing during a full moon at nighttime because I well, love it. Well, that's fun. But I don't actually think about the fish behavior. But luckily, Doc Martin, our friend, holds a PhD in biologist from Kansas State University where uh, her research is focused on prairie stream fishes. And she actually knows some stuff. And she did a whole segment for us right now on how the moon impacts fishes. Here's Doc Martin.
2: everyone uh, this is doc martin um i am here today answering a fan question about lunar phases affecting fishes um specifically the this question was dealing with freshwater sport fish which i think is very cool so let's start first the main question is does the moon affect freshwater fishing first a lot of background There's a lot, a lot of research um, on how the moon affects marine fishes and it affects the light of the moon. So the lunar illumination can affect the vertical vertical migration of like zooplankton and other small little food bits that the fish will actually follow. Of course, the moon affects the tides. I know a lot of you folks that are listening are actually from coastal areas. Unlike me, I'm right in the middle of the country, Um, so you guys are probably a lot more familiar with how tides work than I am. I don't get to see them all that often. Also, interestingly, um, I found that the because of the way that the tides work, um, a lot of fishes utilize that in that their larva stages or their larval stages, since a lot of fish larvae maybe aren't very mobile, they time their spawning period and growth period during particular phases of the moon and the tides, so that way those larvae can get dispersed properly, which is pretty cool. Um, another one, I've, uh, a study that I found, let's see, by uh, Leroy Fulmer, um, published in 1981, looked at the how the lunar phase affected uh, thyroxine. And that deals with metabolism of fishes. So basically, uh, in these Salmonid populations, these guys are migrating. Um, In this particular population, these Salmonids were in freshwater. They're going to migrate to the ocean. And it turns out that they will uh, use other cues, so photoperiods, so what time of year it is, temperature, and things like that. But also, they will use cues from the lunar cycle to change their metabolism to get ready for this long migration or this long trip, which I thought was very interesting. Um, another one that I found there uh, was a study by, um, so the lead author is Sugama, and this was published in 2008. And this looks at the uh, rabbit fish species, siganus uh, gutatus, the golden rabbit fish. So this is a reef fish, so we're still in marine land here. And it has a lunar synchronized spawning cycle, which is very common for a lot of marine fishes, like I said earlier. And there's a gene uh, nicknamed PER2, so PER2. And it turns out that the uh, photoperiod, so day versus night, affects the regulation of that particular gene. But also the light of the moon affects That particular gene. And they did a really cool study. Um, So they basically went out, they collected a bunch of juvenile golden rabbit fish of a certain size, and then they put those into study tanks to monitor, keep everything the same. The only thing that they're going to change is their exposure to either sunlight or moonlight. After these different exposures, they were, uh, so like the new moon phase, which there would be. No light, because the new moon, you don't see anything, or the full moon phase, which you'd have a lot of moonlight. Um, After they were exposed to those treatments for a particular amount of time, the researchers would remove the pineal gland, and then they also removed pineal glands from wild-caught fish, and then they checked uh, the amount and the regulation of this PER2 gene, and they found that both the sun and moonlight affected whether these fishes Uh, We're using that gene to regulate different hormones, to tell them, you know, what their internal kind of body clock is doing, the circadian circadian rhythm, which I think was really cool. And I know I'm going through some of the marine stuff really, really quickly because I wanted to talk about uh, some of the freshwater studies since that was what the question was about. So um, what I could find was that the first study was from Welsh in 2016 And he found that there's lots of different effects that cause, let's see, American eels to be able to pass through dams. So, of course, not through dams, but there's special eel passes that some dams have built. And the eels will use those. Um, Scientists will sit and monitor and count, take length data and all that other fun stuff. And what they ended up finding was that it, it... there's a well, it's complicated, of course. I know a couple of the fans were making fun of me and oh, we should ask Doc Martin, what's she gonna say? Um, well, it depends. Ha ha ha. Yeah, well, you're very right. Thank you. Ha ha ha. <laughs> it does depend. But I think what's interesting is that the lunar phase did affect whether or not uh, these eels were passing through the eel pass on the dam. However, you know, is that because of just the lunar phase or also river discharge and things like that. They found that river discharge and low levels of lunar illumination were associated with upstream migration of American eels. And this is in the Shenandoah River. And that's really cool. So basically, if there's more water and there's less light, these eels are more likely to pass through this dam. Now, I have a conundrum for you. They could not separate this. So you can imagine, first of all, the level of light being important for migration. So if there's too much light, you might be more prone to predation or something like that. And when there's less light, you might feel a little bit safer. So you're more likely to go ahead and take that chance. However, discharge is also important. Now, if if the water is deeper, the level of light must also decrease, right? So you can imagine if you're four feet from the bottom of a river, and you stay at four feet, and you just add more water on top of you, because the light gets reflected and refracted and doesn't penetrate the water very deep, is it really because of the lunar illumination, or is it because of this increase in just the plain amount of water? Um, Probably it's a little bit of both, which I think is what the authors ended up concluding, that it is both river discharge and lunar illumination. So, the best chance eels have uh, or they like the best to make their upstream migrations is when you have high river discharge and low light levels. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and then the next one that I found was a little piece um, by Mike Allen, um, The Science of Bass Fishing. So this is for all you bass fishermen out there and women, of course. He just wrote a small piece, Does the Lunar Cycle Effect?, fishing success of bass. So if you are a fisherman and you want to go catch bass, should you you go during a certain part of the lunar phase? And it turns out in uh, the research that he cited, both that he actually conducted and other fellow scientists that he cited, um, no evidence was found that suggests activity level of largemouth bass were affected by the lunar cycle in any kind of reputable manner. Now, There is evidence that the number of bass caught and the size of the bass reported were bigger during new moon and full moon phases. Okay, so you might think, aha, well, there you go. Then yeah, of course the moon affects the catchability of bass. Like, look, we have data that shows we catch more bass during the new moon and full moon phases. Then I ask you, fans, is it because of the lunar phase or is it a self-selection bias where fishermen already believe that they will be more successful? Therefore, they plan their fishing excursions around the lunar cycle because they expect to be able to catch more and bigger fish? Aha. We don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I personally have never planned any fishing excursions or anything like that around the lunar cycle, but I'm also admittedly not much of a fisherwoman. I am more of a fisher observer. <laughs> so I want you guys to think about that. and I would like to know, uh, comment on the Facebook page. Do you guys plan your fishing excursions around the lunar cycle. Is that a thing that a lot of anglers do? I don't know. You tell me. And then the very last paper I found is my favorite one. So this is by Vincent and Angradi. And this is about musky lunacy. Does the lunar cycle influence angler catch of the muskelunge? Which I think is really cool. So As they note in their introduction, we already know that there are studies of the effects of the moon on fish behavior, fish spawning, vertical and horizontal movement, migration, general activity levels, feeding, vulnerability to commercial recreational fishing. So all of these things may be synchronized with the lunar cycle in marine and fresh waters. And so there has been... Um, a couple studies where that show that the catch-per-unit effort of pike over in a German lake was elevated during the full and new moon. There was also one that found that trophy pike in Indiana, my home state, go Hoosiers, were caught more frequently around full and new moons. So, is that true? Is, it, is there really that, or is it that self-selection bias that I mentioned earlier? i don't know we're gonna find out these guys did a really cool study so i think it went over um several years and they they tracked all sorts of different data they used uh muskies inc incorporated inc inc period catch data daytime catch nighttime catch and they looked at ontario minnesota wisconsin ohio all sorts of different lakes all around there which is pretty cool And they did find that the lunar cycle on daytime muskie catch was significant for all geographic groupings except Wisconsin. So if you guys are from Wisconsin or Ohio, then it turns out that for some reason uh, the moon does not affect your muskies. But if you are from the other regions, apparently the moon does affect the catchability of muskies. So maybe you want to go to Ontario during the full moon, not so much Wisconsin. Now, why? why? Why would that make a difference? Why would Ontario have this high catchability of these muskies and big muskies, whereas Wisconsin did not? I'm so glad that you asked. So it turns out that larger fish... Larger muskies, at least, in this case. I could not find much other studies that were as rigorous as this one. So I want to limit it to muskies, unfortunately. Big muskies were more affected by the lunar cycle than small muskies. Also, if we compare Wisconsin, the size of the lakes from their data set versus the size of the lakes from the other areas we find that the lakes that they used from Wisconsin were smaller. So you could extrapolate that to suggest Wisconsin in general, on the lakes that they used, just contained smaller muskie. Huh? Maybe? Maybe? And if Wisconsin muskie in general were smaller and we already know that big muskie are affected more than small muskie then that might be why you don't see a pattern in Wisconsin but you do in other places. So ideally what we would do is we would go to Wisconsin and we would fish all these other bigger lakes that should have bigger muskie and see if that pattern would still hold. That would be awesome. Maybe we'll have some volunteers want to do that research. Just fish muskie for science of course. Very scientific. (laughs) So again, there's a few things that are a little bit problematic. Do anglers concentrate their angling effort during what they perceive to be favorable moon phases? And again, if if that is the case, and we don't know that for sure, then we can't really say it's the lunar cycle. It's probably just the actual effort out there. However, these authors um, suggest that the observed lunar effects on the muskie catch, are not entirely due to increased angler effort, but also reflect a biological response of the fishes. And they decided that because they actually studied the effort amount across this wide range of distributions of lakes and, uh, well, countries, of course. And it turns out that the effort didn't really significantly change whether or not they caught a lot of muskies. So basically they they took effort into account in their model. And while it was important, like if you have no effort, you're not going to catch any muskies, right? That makes a lot of sense. However, even if you put in a little bit of effort, there was still a bump in the number of muskies caught and the size. And if you put in a lot of effort, of course, a lot of effort, you caught more muskies than the little effort. But a lot of effort also had the same size bump. So, and that bump ended up being about 5%. So if you are a low effort fisherman and you happen to go muskie fishing during full or new moon, you have a 5% bump in your chance of getting one of those bigger muskies. But what does that actually mean? And I think there was something like if you get one fish in 10,000 casts, what this becomes is you get one fish in 9,500 casts. Okay, so yes, there's a bump, but it's not very big. So just a little tiny bump, but it's still really neat. So, but why is that? Why would muskie be affected by the lunar cycles? Well, we're thinking the, the idea is that maybe this lunar synchronization of these fish. It must convey or in the evolutionary past conveyed some kind of fitness advantage for the fish. Basically, it was useful. So somehow by these muskies synchronizing with the lunar cycle, it somehow increases their energy intake and they just they perform better. So it's beneficial to a muskie to be synced up with the lunar cycle, which is pretty cool. So and there's lots of other Examples, uh, marine pelagic predators track prey associated with lunar cycles. Fish like tuna and sharks are adapted to feed at variable depths, and they move deeper during periods of the full moon. There we go. Um, they're also less vulnerable to anglers at the full moon. So in that case, if you're going tuna or shark fishing, you don't want to go when there's a full moon because they will go deeper to avoid that light. <laughs> Billfishes. Uh, in general, there's specific species, but some of them are more vulnerable to angling during the full moon period because of the reduction in available prey. So it makes these fish desperate for food, so they're more likely to bite your hook instead of go find their normal prey. The physiological adaptations for feeding at different, different depths probably doesn't apply to the muskie. They likely evolved as a river species, and they're going to have a relatively have relatively recently invaded a deeper lentic environment. So somehow this lunar gravitation has been suggested as a cue for fish behavior in pike and now in musky, but the biological mechanism that link the musky behavior to the actual moon phases is a mystery. We don't know. I don't I don't know why you can catch more musky when there's a new moon or a full moon? You do, but what biological mechanism is behind that? So in theory or, or hypothesis would be a little bit more appropriate. Maybe it is some evolutionary lingering advantage or something like that. I, I I can't answer that question, which I think is really cool. I love questions that I can't answer. They're my favorite kind. So, you know, uh, different animals behave different ways and so at some point having this lunar sinking cycle benefits them for some reason and i think that's super cool what i would really like this is my challenge to all of you fishermen is for for the sake of science <laughs> okay don't do extra effort during the new moon And full moon phases, because then us scientists can't tease that data apart to really get at the effects. So if you are a big new moon or full moon fisherman, you're confounding the science there. (laughs) And I'm only teasing. So you can fish whenever you want. But um, I think that's just, you know, that's interesting. That's all. I don't have anything else. I hope that answered the question of basically, so does the moon affect fishing success? Yes, Yes, it does, but just not by very much, just by 5%. I also got to learn a really cool new word. So I want to share that word with you. Zeitgeber. Z-E-I-T-G-E-B-E-R. And that means it's a cue from the environment that resets your body clock, your circadian rhythm. So super cool vocabulary word. Um, And I really hope that that answered the fan question. I really, really wish that I could have given you a mechanism as to why the moon has those effects. But right now, we just have a couple basically guesses or hypotheses, but none of those, uh, to my knowledge, have been solidly explained. And if you ever have any other questions or anything else, you can always find me on Facebook through the Fish Nerds podcast. I'm Doc Martin. And... I love answering your questions, especially ones like this, where it's just, what an interesting question, right? The moon is so far away and we're losing it. I think um, by like one one centimeter a year, the moon gets further and further away from the earth. So eventually we won't have one. Then what will happen? I think that's a really interesting question. So what will happen when we don't have tides anymore? We don't have these gravitational effects. Um, How will the fish be affected when tides are only dictated by the sun, right? Because when the sun and the moon align or they're in opposites, that affects the tides. I think a lot of you coastal folks are probably very aware of that. But what what happens if we don't have the moon? I don't know the answer to that one either. So if you have any thoughts or ideas, throw them my way because I would love to hear them. And maybe we can have a little discussion about the moon affecting the fishes. And I think uh, Halloween is... Right around when um, this time of year. So when you're looking up at the moon in your super scary costume, you can always think of the fishes. And I think that's all that I have. I hope that that was relatively informative, and I thought it was really cool that the moon clearly affects fishing and also the regulation of different hormones and gene expression and all sorts of other crazy molecular-level stuff in fish. All right, well, um, until next time, I'm so happy that you guys still like to listen to me geek out on the podcast and fish on.
0: All right, thanks, Doc. We appreciate that. All right, now time for our number fourth Scariest fish in the world. And this fish is awesome. It's called the yeah. Goliath Tigerfish. Tigerfish. It's a creature so horrific that it makes a fear piranha look like a pet goldfish. Reaching lengths of more than six feet and weighing up to 70 pounds, these megafish stalk the waterways of Central Africa in packs, shredding even large prey in a matter of seconds. Aren't they beautiful, Zoe?
1: Yes. If
0: you were to describe this fish, how would you describe it?
1: They have teeth. They have very large teeth that I I think are about an inch apart each. Um, And they um, have ginormous eyeballs. Yeah.
0: I mean, clearly a big predator fish. And those teeth could shred you to bits. Uh, The mouth on this yellow-eyed monster fish is studded with giant dagger-like canine teeth, each more than two inches long. A number of deaths went unexplained in the Congo River and were attributed to this mysterious spirit foe with dark powers. That is until extreme angler Jeremy Wade pulled one of these horrific creatures from the depths of the river. So Jeremy Wade is the one who kind of made these guys famous. He's a he does a show called River Monsters.
1: I've heard of that. That's on Netflix.
0: He's on Netflix. Yeah, um, good. Well, that was some
1: electric eels. Oh,
0: let's talk about electric eels. We were, we were going to wait a minute and talk about other things, oh, but let's just jump right in. Let's talk
1: about another The thing? number
0: 3 scariest fish in the world is the what?
1: Electric eel. The
0: electric eel. And do you know anything about these already?
1: Uh yes, I do. What um, do You know. They live at the Amazon River mm-hmm. and um they um use their they have shocks in them so they can paralyze their meal mm-hmm. with their body. Um, and then they can eat it without a hassle of a moving prey in their mouth.
0: So they shock in order to to stun their preys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you're probably right about that. Let's see what we've got here. The electric eel is an elongated South American fish that produces a powerful electric shock to stun its prey. You got it. Usually other fish, long, cylindrical, scaleless, and usually gray brown. The electric eel can grow to two point seven five meters, that's nine feet, and weigh nearly forty eight pounds. The tail region constitutes about four-fifths of the eel's total length, which is bordered along the underside by an undulating anal fin that is used to propel the fish. Despite its name, it's not a true eel, but it's related to the keratin fish, which include piranhas and neon tetras. The electric eel is one of the principal aquatic predators of the whitewater-flooded forest known as the varzia. In one fish survey of a typical varzia, electric eels, made up more than 70% of the biomass. Uh, so these fish don't move, move a lot. They're like sluggish water, uh, and they often will gulp air on the surface, right? Now, here's the question. Do they kill people? I'd guess no. Yeah. All right. Well, the tail region contains electric organs, which are derived from muscle tissues, uh, innervated by spinal nerves, it discharges 300 to 650 volts, a charge power enough to jolt humans. These organs may also be used to help creature navigate and communicate w- with other electric eels. I don't know that they kill a lot of people, but the potential is there. And certainly would hurt you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hey, speaking of hurting you, remember meeting Hugo a couple of years ago? He fed just some really spicy beef jerky? Yes. Yes. Well, he's back again this week cooking a fish on his segment Killing Fish in Time with Hugo. He's cooking tog. Have you heard of tog?
1: no but it sounds delicious
0: yeah it is delicious now these looks, fish
1: the picture looks like he has a snout
0: they do have these kind of funny little mouths now these tog are great fish they are it's actually spelled t-a-u-t-o-g and their mouths are designed like to crush up and eat shellfish and crabs and things like that cool. so, so their meat has a kind of similar flavor uh and they're really really delicious here's hugo thanks hugo
3: What's going down, Fish Nerd Nation? Hugo Madero's here, fishing correspondent for the Fish Nerds. And as you might be able to hear, I am doing, well, guess what? Some cooking of great seafood. So I'm pumped, guys. This time of year here, it's the fall in New England. I'm in Massachusetts. And this is Tatog season, what they call uh, blackfish in Rhode Island. They're awesome fish, phenomenal to eat, one of the best you can eat, uh, anywhere. Um, super cool. They live in the rocks. They eat crab. They got these crazy buck teeth. They fight like bulldogs. They're just awesome. So we've been catching them. I uh, just caught some, uh, went out with my, uh, good friend, uh, Norm. We went out in the kayaks, um, and we got into them. Uh, the spot that we discovered, uh, a friend of ours shared with us is, um, is real good. And, uh, so we've been doing awesome there all summer in various spots on um, lots of ground fish. We did uh, great on ground uh, fish this year. I got tons of sea bass and fluke and all sorts of thing, things, but this weekend we were just focusing on the uh, tatog. Uh, the season's closed for fluke and sea bass, and we didn't see uh, anything else around. Oh, I was surprised. I hooked into a trigger fish, which was really weird, and I lost them right on the side of the boat. But those are these tropical fish that come up here in the late summer. I'm really surprised that I caught one this time of year. But yeah, I'm, I am I am pumped uh, about these Tatog. They're just a blast to, um, to catch. And um, we're going to do some cooking with them right now. So right now what I'm doing is one of my favorite types of soups. It's the Vietnamese noodle soup uh, called Pho. That's P-H-O, but it's pronounced Pho. Um, the weird thing, well, I got this, um, the pho powder mix that you can buy on Amazon. If you, um, just Google it, uh, pho powder or pho spices, you'll find it. It's actually really good. Um, you know, if you get a really good, uh, Vietnamese, um, noodle place, they can have the homemade ones that are unbelievable, but they're so hard to make and involves, making this stock that takes hours and hours and all sorts of crazy spices uh i tried this powder from amazon and it's actually pretty good so we're gonna do that now the funny thing is i have it. it's really made for beef but i am gonna go crazy and try it anyways and i think it's gonna be awesome so i'll post the, post the recipe online you guys can hear it i got it boiling here already but simply i'll explain I got some um i'm gonna do it my way with some of the ingredients I like, so I got some oyster mushrooms i'm gonna put in there. I got fish stock with the uh powder the uh, fuss powder boiling I got a red onion and slice that super super thin'm gonna add the mushrooms gonna add a jalapeno sliced up and some cilantro and then I'll put in the um, the which I'll cut. I'll take a fillet and cut it into small pieces. Cilantro at the end, and then we have these um, Asian-style uh, rice noodles that I'll put in right at the end because those take like two minutes to cook. And uh, oh, and then we have fresh basil and mung bean sprouts. So that's all. Those are the traditional things you'll see if you get any of these, but. This is going to be awesome. I'm just making myself hungry here. Um, so I got three tog uh, to play with for food. Uh, that's the legal limit that you can take per person per day. So I got three of those guys. One of them was awesome. One was was big. Uh, I was surprised I had my uh, drag set pretty good because these guys, they'll uh, burrow themselves into the rocks. So you really have to have, uh, you know, it's good to have the drag tightened down and uh, get them up and off out of the rocks as soon as possible. So this one, I actually casted two, which was weird, but I was just getting bored. Um, you know, I anchored down one spot for a few minutes just to um, take a break and get something to eat. So when you're jigging in the same spot, you know, you, you, you might not get any because they, they'll find a hole and they stay in that hole. Typically, typically there's exceptions, but that's, that's what they do. So I, was ca- I casted it, uh, a jig with a uh, half of uh, an Asian live crab on it. Uh hucked it out as far as I could. It dropped, and I felt the bite as soon as it hit the bottom. And I looked at my buddy, Norm, who was next to me. He was laughing. The drag just started peeling. And that's when I knew this guy was good. So he turned out to be, I think he was 20 and a half inches, 21 inches. Um, real, real nice-looking fish, real thick. So I'm pumped. going to do this one here today. And then for dinner we are gonna do typically what people do with these things because they're they're just the musculature of the meat of the flesh of the uh, tatog is really firm which is awesome but it's still you know it's not chewy or anything it's not like lobster stringy it melts in your mouth but it, it stands up to liquids really well it doesn't fall apart so it's famous for uh chowder like the new england chowder but I'm going to do something different. I'm going to do one of my favorite recipes. Uh, I've mentioned it before. It's been posted before. I've been doing it again. It's an Asian Filipino recipe that involves coconut milk, ginger, garlic, onions, and I think that's about it. Garlic, onions, ginger, coconut milk. And those flavors are so light and fragrant. They're just awesome. All right. I'm making myself salivate here. (laughs) I will... uh, Post all the recipes online. I'm going to get this cooking. I'll post some uh, pictures of the final dish. And um pumped for this time of year, guys. If you guys get a chance, go out in 20 to 30 feet of water off, uh, you know, in the ocean. Look, look on maps. Look like on um, Navionics web app. If you Google that, you can see the charts and it shows you um, the topography underwater. I just look for... Um, for humps for rocks because these guys live in the rocks so if you see a section that's like 20 to 30 feet deep but all of a sudden there's a little hump in it that's like five feet deep i just go straight to there and fish all around there because they love those rocks um you know if you're in flat sandy bottom you're you're not gonna have to tug there so uh learning learning a little bit getting out there again saturday wicked pumped for it and uh, i love this type of fishing it's so simple because all i gotta bring is a rod a bunch of these tatog jigs if you look up a uh, blackfish jig or tatog T A U T O G jigs you'll see these things it's basically a a hunk of lead with a big hook on it you go to the bait store and you pick up uh, the uh the crabs that they sell all the stores in New England should have them now we fish in um the Massachusetts, Rhode Island area a lot So we stop at Ocean State Tackle, Dave He Knows place He's always got crabs there um, So we always get crabs every time we see Dave You cut them in half, put it in through uh, one leg hole and out another So they don't fall off And um, drop it down on the rocks and that's about it So yeah, we're going to uh, uh, scout out a new place I'm going to do all my research on it Like I said, find rocks and humps and things like that And uh, pumped to do it all right guys have a blast all right guys quick update on the results here I had to do it on I can barely contain myself it came out awesome I really hope if someone uh, goes out there please try it go on Amazon look up this uh, faux powder pho Vietnamese spice um the flavor of this is just so intense it is awesome um looking at it now oh i gotta d- dig into this but yeah guys check it out i mean it's easy it takes minutes to make you basically uh, add the powder to water add your um the uh you got the fish you have uh bean sprouts and basil and uh cilantro and jalapenos that you add at the end i put in mushrooms but that's not really typical but yeah, that's it. So I'm going to dig into this. Uh, if you guys check it out, please do let me know if you um, do so. Just post in the uh, Fish Nerds podcast face- Facebook group. Tag me, Hugo Maderos. I would love for somebody else to enjoy this as much as I'm. Uh, pearl's watering as I'm about to right now. See you, folks. Bye.
0: Hey, Zoe, do you know how we pay for this podcast to be on the show? Like, how do we make this podcast? It costs money, you know. Yeah, I do. How do we pay for it?
1: Uh, you got a job?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I wish that this was a job. Well, actually, this podcast is funded through our listeners at a website called Patreon.com. P-A-T-R-E-O-N, Patreon.com. If you go to Patreon.com slash Fish Nerds, and you give us a dollar an episode, you'll be my best friend. We'll send you a sticker. Um, and we're asking like for four bucks a month to help pay for the show. If you give us $2 a month, an episode, that's $8 a month, I'll mail you a package with sticker and a Fish Nerds rag, which is like a um, oh, bandana. I love rags. They're great.
1: I wear them all the time. Yeah,
0: I do too. And our friend Bethany Metz just started donating to the show at the $2 level. So thank you, Bethany. You'll be getting you'll be getting a who rag. Do you know Bethany? Yes. Yeah, she's awesome, right? Uh-huh. One of our favorite people on the planet. So thank you Bethany. Uh, if you donate at the $5 a month level, you're going to get a who rag, you're going to get a fish nerd's hat, a sticker, and you'll be in all of our fishy prayers. That's that's pretty high level of donation. That's $20 a month. Uh, if you give us the $25 per episode level, that's really expensive. That's $100 a month. You're going to get your business named on our show. And our friend Josh Lopes... Gives us $25 an episode to mention his business. And his cool. business is Lopestax.com. Now, Josh is a friend of ours, lives on our, has a rental property on our property, which is nice. Um, and he's also a very good accountant. So if you're in Massachusetts and you need someone to help with your taxes, go to Lopestax.com and tell Josh thank you for supporting the Fish Nerds. That's patreon.com slash fish nerds to support the show. Now, we're going to get a little uncomfortable, Zoe. We're going to talk about a fish called The Paku, our number two scariest fish.
1: It looks just like a piranha.
0: It is just like a piranha. Now, this photo you're looking at right now, Zoe, is not the Paku that we're talking about. The Paku we're talking about has giant human-like teeth in the front of his mouth. Big, giant crunchers. And it's known as a legendary nut cruncher. Yeah. Now, um, we're going to talk about the difference between boys and the girls for a second here. And I'm going to tell you why this is the scariest fish around. Uh, lots and lots of people around the world have claimed that these fish, uh, in their native habitat, like to eat nuts. They fall from the trees and they crunch up the nuts from the trees. Can you tell me the difference between boys and girls? This is uncomfortable, I know. Um... We've got different kinds of parts, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: and we don't have this conversation very often because we don't need to. No. Nor, nor do we want to. <laughs> but but uh, boys have external parts on them that girls don't. Right? Mm-hmm. you agree with that? Yes. All right. And one of those parts, and if you say this in front of mom, you'll get in trouble, one of those parts, the slang term, people call them nuts. Right. I know. I'm sorry to to be the one to tell you this. I knew that. You knew that. I knew
4: that. All right,
0: and you know, you might you might tell your friends, "Leave me alone, or I'm going to kick you in the nuts." Right? We don't ever say that. No, never do that. But people do say that, and they will. Um, Now, the pacu, which is a type of piranha, has these teeth, and they do in the wild eat nuts. Now, for years, places like the Huffington Post and Jeremy Wade have been claiming that these fish. Uh, Not only do they eat real nuts from trees, but if you swim naked around them and you're a boy, they will eat your nuts. (laughs) 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 So that's the Paku, the legendary nutcracker, the number two most feared fish in the world.
1: Doesn't sound very scary. It is
0: very scary if you have nuts and you're swimming naked. That's why I never swim naked. Ever.
1: I've never seen you even without a shirt swimming.
0: That's right. Well, it's because i am a never nude. So don't you worry. Uh, and by the way, Zoe, do you think that's ever happened? Do you think anyone's ever had no. themselves bitten by a Paku? No. No, it's never happened. It's called a Paku of Lies. But, it, the, but, but <laughs> that story is shared widely over the internet, and so we have to, of course, use it because we're talking about the most feared fish. All right. Hey, please welcome to the show the guys from Fisher Guiding. All right. I'm here hanging out uh, in Brooklyn. No, I'm in Queens, New York. I'm not really in Queens, but I'm hanging out with uh, two guys, Luke Campbell and Edward Hill. Uh, Here's from their website. Here's what it says. It says, uh, Fisher Guiding was built on the belief that fishing should be accessible to everyone. Our platform connects people to a global network of guides and simplifies the booking process with safe, easy to use website. Whether you're a seasoned pro or new to the water, our fishing community has a place for you. Luke and Edward, welcome to the Fish Nerds. How are you?
4: We're doing great. Thank you for having us, Clay. This Uh, is Luke. Hello, Fish Nerds. (laughs) Hey, Luke.
5: (laughs) Yeah, glad to be a part of it. Thanks for having us on board. This is Edward here, Uh, looking forward to it.
0: And and I understand this is the first time you're on a podcast.
5: It is, yeah, yeah. Definitely excited to make it happen and to have it be such a cool podcast like this one.
0: Yet you're, you're, you're. Yet we're recording in a studio in Queens, at another podcaster's house. Is that right?
5: Yeah, it is. It is. There, my old roommate is a comedian and has a podcast of his own. It's called the Cold Read. Yeah, so it's pretty great.
0: The Cold Read podcast. I'll actually put a link up in the show notes. I haven't heard it yet, but I'm going to t- totally check it out. And I love other podcasters. I'm always want to support anybody else doing this work because it's uh we we need each other to get better and like needing each other to get better you guys are starting up a business called fisher guide service can one of you guys give us the elevator pitch the short version what is fisher guide service
5: uh yeah so um i'll hop in there it's so fisher guiding is a business that we've been working on now um for it launched in march but um i was I had left my job in DC and was looking for something to do trying to book a fishing trip. And I was trying to do it online. It didn't end up happening because kind of information overload when I was looking for guides. And so I thought, well, why don't I try to set this up on? And um, so i worked at a fly shop when I was in college and I've always been fishing my whole life. And so tried to use that a little bit of that experience and talk with a lot of people in the industry and, and have been building that sense. And it's, it's a, um had luke has come on board or started helping out this january last january and then came on board this spring and we've been kind of rolling with getting guides on board um up to 100 now and really trying to show that that you know this is a a a marketplace that can work in the fishing industry i think the timing is right um we can see it in other other industries where booking is happening online and I think it'll help both guides and users uh, simplify the whole process. Is that's that's really the goal.
0: That's the goal. And you got got 100 people so far. And the Fish Nerds Guide Service have recently signed with you. So we're looking forward to uh, getting our platform up and running. Sorry, I've been slow on getting my uh, my photos to you guys and getting the website up and going. But it's pretty cool. And, and the way you guys make money is you keep a percentage of the money for the bookings. People book through your website, and then you get a percentage of the trip from the guide. Is that right?
4: That's correct. We just take a small commission on the trips and guides only pay for a commission on the trips that they accept through us. So there's no listing or sign up fee, but we do advertise and promote all the guides listed with us. That includes fishing guides, charters, fishing lodges, fly fishing shops. We've got a couple of each different type, uh, worldwide. So we're in 10 countries right now, like Edward said, uh, we passed our hundred guide milestone a couple of weeks ago up to 110 today, and looking to keep going. maybe fish nerds will be with number one eleven.
0: Well we are in there, so we are it, so uh, which is exciting. and now there's other companies who do what you do right i've've I've, I've worked with other companies, I've talked to other people who do this. What is different from what you do versus what say a, one of your competitors does?
5: Uh, yeah, I think that's a that's a good question. Um I think one way we can differentiate ourselves is is early on is by the commission. It's a six percent commission to try
0: to keep that low yeah that is lower than I've seen. i've seen uh lowest I've seen is fifteen percent, so six seems pretty low.
5: yeah, we, we've kind of been looking at that and seeing how is it the best way to help both guides, charters, and make Fisher a sustainable business. and so I think um this is it's a way to really it, it when we grow to have, have scale. This will, I think it'll, it'll work out.
0: Yeah. And you guys are like in real startup mode right now. You don't, you're not, you didn't quit your jobs yet, right?
5: Uh, this is, uh, my full time, both of our full-time jobs. Yeah.
0: (coughs) Wow. Really?
4: Yeah. So actually, wow. I, then I apologize. You quit your jobs. (laughs) Yeah, we're all in, but, uh, that's crazy. Right. So like the 6% commission, um, I guess we recognize, and our planning has to be long term, because I think, as you can see, like that's not necessarily sustainable with a hundred guides. but we're putting we're trying to put in the work and build the supply uh, side of the marketplace by getting guides on with the six percent commission and then hoping it gets to the point where that scale turns out to uh, make Fisher Guiding successful in the long run. Well, I have to tell you, your website is beautiful. It look's great. Fisherguiding.com. Oh. Fisherguiding.com. All right. So, you guys
0: quit your jobs. What did you do before Fisher Guide?
5: Uh, yeah. So, before Fisher Guiding, I, I w- was <coughs> at a, a startup in Charlottesville. I'm, so, Luke and I are both originally from Charlottesville, Virginia. We went to high school in Charlottesville. And so, I went back after school to Charlottesville and worked at a, a food ordering startup there, like a Grubhub kind of style place. Yep. Um, and then from there, I worked at a public policy an uh, analysis uh, communications play, firm in Washington D.C.
0: And that, and Edward, you have that voice too. That sounds like a communications person. Like you've done a lot of public speaking. <laughs> uh, I did a lot
5: of plays at the summer camp that I went to in New Hampshire. Actually, where'd um, you go? I went, to, I went to Pasquani on Lake Newfound.
0: Newfound Lake's fabulous. I'd love ice yeah. fishing out there.
5: That's oh yeah. I, yeah, I was up, I was up there for a week this summer in in the Crawford Notch area.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's yeah. that's my. I live in the White Mountains, so you're in my area.
5: Yeah, it's, it's it's I've spent I think eleven summers up up there at at least some point. So it's been a really it's a beautiful place. Love it.
0: That's really cool. Newfound Lake is is such a beautiful, big, clear water lake. People have never been there, it's a difficult lake to fish because the water is so crystal clear. It's super duper deep. Yeah. Edward, have you ever been ice fishing? I haven't. Um,
5: I've I've seen. I know they do it on Newfoundland, though. I've I've been up to Newfound in the winter and and seen them out there, but I haven't myself.
0: There's actually a group of fishermen on Newfound Lake called the Newfoundland Circus, and if you find yourself in New Hampshire uh, any winter, look me up. You can actually book me through uh, through this great website called uh, Fisher Guiding, and uh, <laughs> I'll take you to Newfound Lake and introduce you to the Newfound Circus. But they're a bunch of hardcore, old, crusty anglers uh, who are internet savvy, who build this village on Newfoundland Lake behind Mayhew Island. And they just have all these great adventures right there on the lake. So uh,
5: that's awesome.
0: I'd love to take you out there.
5: Yeah, I'd love to get out there. I've, I've got to get out ice fishing.
0: Mm-hmm. Totally fun. Now, uh, Luke, what about you, ice fisher? Chicago, come on. I
4: have- not yet, but I have plans to do it for the first time this winter with my uncle in the Northwoods of Wisconsin. Oh, they do realize fishing out there. Yeah, I'm, uh, I, I've am i got to get prepared. I've got to buy a bigger coat, I think. Yeah. Even in I... Chicago, I'm not used to uh, that Wisconsin-Northwoods <laughs> weather. No, it's
0: painful. No, it's funny. I, I was on a, a Facebook group called 603 Outpost the other day, and they do this thing where they like put up an item and... Everyone will put like $8 in the pot and then they'll draw a name out of the hat and you win the item. I, for eight bucks, I won a uh, a heated jacket from Milwaukee Tools. So, a little battery pack that plugs into it and it heats up, has coils in it, and it heats you all the way up. So, I'm going to be wow. so warm.
4: Yeah. Have haven't heard of that. Maybe we need to do a uh, fisher guiding giveaway to someone who books an ice fishing trip.
0: There it is, something, something for it. But anyway, but it's really cool. So uh, let me ask you a little bit. About, so you guys both jumped full force into this uh, into this fishing business. Now I know making a living in the fishing industry is near impossible. It's it's hard. I work other jobs on top of guiding. Are you guys at all scared, <laughs> like <laughs> just being in this space and just trying to figure this out? Are you confident in your in the outcomes?
5: Yeah, I, th- I think any any reasonable person that has a little bit of fear, um, and I think there are definitely moments of where you think, "What am I doing?" But it's it's really helpful having a, a partner going through it. Um, and I've also I've, we've got we've got a good team of just advisors who have been helping us along the way and have been, been just supported New, newly married. And so my wife's been helping out a lot, a lot as well. And so um, I think. Trying to trying to stay positive when you can, but definitely it, there are some yeah there's some scary moments.
0: Yeah, I'm sure, and it'll be, it'll be more to come. By the way, don't worry, I'm yeah. sure of it. And that's the interest part. And that's like I, I always think it's incredibly brave to quit your jobs and quit things that make money for the potential of making a whole bunch more money. I, I've never had that kind of guts, but I, I'm impressed by it. Do you guys have investors? Like, do you have like, do you like, have you gotten out to that level of, of work yet where you're like looking for that money for getting really big? Like you gonna go a shark tank or one of those kind of things?
5: Yeah, uh, we, we, so we've raised a, a round of convertible notes um, earlier this summer. Um, but yeah, we're, we're trying to really grow the business right now and focus on, like Luke said earlier, kind of filling the supply side mm-hmm. and, and getting real inventory of guides and charters and and lodges on board with us.
0: Sure, that'll give you proof of concept too. If you can get, you know, from a hundred to like, I mean, ideally, it'd be around ten thousand, right? If be one, I really want to really want big numbers to make that six percent a viable stream of money for you.
4: Totally, and yeah. we've been, yeah. So the the early round is, um, I guess, I think. What we saw is enough to start this and prove what we can build and get the first initial inventory on board, get the interactions going. And it's enough to where we've been able to do a lot of experimenting with advertising and recruitment and start to get our name out there. But the next round uh, will have to come soon. And then, yeah, we're just looking forward to continuing to grow it incrementally and hit the curve uh, even faster. Yeah, and, and any chance you guys are going to have an app in the future for this to really kind of get there? That's definitely uh, in our minds. Um, we're focused right now on uh, optimizing the website to be as streamlined a process for both guides and users on both sides. But yeah, an app well, is definitely in the plans uh, for the future. Well, the good news is I I've, I've visited hundreds of guide websites trying
0: to figure out my my business, and almost all are terrible to look at. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh your website is is beautiful and and, it, and it's comfortable to look at and it's and it visually appealing and all the things are 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 working on it so that's that's in your favor so good job on that
4: thank you yeah thank yeah. you
5: that's that's really nice of you to say
0: yeah and and i'm excited for you and i hope that you guys can pull this off because it's uh it's badly needed we need more people fishing we need more guides making a living at it. And using a system like Fisher Guiding can really help, uh, can help bring more customers to us, ice fishermen or our guides, that it's good for everybody. And I don't mind paying 6%, by the way, fi-
4: like a finder's fee.
0: I think that's no big deal.
4: That's, uh, that's been one of the most motivating things for <coughs> us early on is hearing from the guides who are excited. Um, and even just the ones who, when we bring them like maybe one trip, like they say, well, this is a trip. That I would have would not have gotten this season uh, without being on Fisher guiding, and so just being able to provide any value really motivates us to keep doing it.
0: Yeah, and and by the way, I noticed that you signed a local guide up my way. A guy named Travis Rocket is with you. And he's a bass guide. He's his first year in business, and even he even I know him well, and even he looks good on your website. <laughs> so,
4: <laughs> the bass look good. No. The bass always look good. Shout out good. to Travis.
0: Yeah, in fact, um, I I was the first person to ever take Travis rocket ice fishing. Oh wow. Yep, his first trip was with me last winter, and well, maybe, this, maybe
5: maybe that can be me as
0: well. Yeah, and this year he's talking about guiding on the ice, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs>
5: You gotta win one of those raffles to get a jacket.
0: i oh, it's gonna keep warm, man. It's So cold out there. It's when you're if you guys haven't been on the ice, it's colder than you think. If it looks cold already, it's colder. That's just kind of how you know. All right. So congratulations on the business. I'm I'm super excited for you. I hope you guys can pull it off. Fish nerds are always pulling for the little guys and the new people. They always like to see see what's happening in the industry. And I hope that as you grow, we grow with you. So that'd be really great. Yeah. How about some fish in the news? I love fish, I love fish in, in the, the news. news. <laughs> Everyone loves fish in the news. So you're gonna they're gonna love this story, and I'll tell you why in a minute. First of all, this is from CNBC. And the headline reads: This 31-year-old quit his job to make zombie fish. And the idea just got a hundred and twenty-five thousand dollar investment. Have you heard about this? No. Well, uh, Jesse Kusack had A solid job as an engineer designing products for the Gillette brand at Procter & Gamble. But he couldn't shake the feeling, the the restless feeling. He wanted to get out of the 9-5 grind and build a business for himself. I always somewhere thought that I'd really rather somehow do my own thing, he tells CNBC, but I wasn't totally sure how to do it. Uh, Eventually, that feeling led him to an unfamiliar industry, dead fish. I'm actually not going to read you the article because I know this story. Uh, last year, about gosh, last year, last summer, we actually had this person on our show talking about the bait. and what it is is a little robot. Basically, you stick inside of a dead fish, and it makes the fish move in the water to attract. You know, it makes it, it takes a dead fish and makes it alive, and call it zombate. You got, you really haven't seen this yet? No, wow,
5: no, that's wild.
0: There's a new TV show called Adventure Capitalist, and it's like Shark Tank for outdoors enthusiasts. And he was on that show and they invested in his product. Uh, But I I will tell you, he was on the Fish Nerds podcast first. We had him on well over a year ago with the Zombies.
4: We're trying to follow that path. You should follow that path. How is Zombies doing now? Do you know? Well, this just happened this
0: week. So the investment just happened. So they've been around since 2014, but their big investment just happened like two days ago. Oh, wow. So one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. Interestingly, four other previous Fish Nerds guests have gone on Shark Tank and got big investments as well. So, and that's not on this article. Somehow, CNBC, CS, CNSBC, or whatever this is, forgot to mention the Fish Nerds. We yeah, always get I
5: heard, Yeah, and uh, we were listening to one of the podcasts earlier. The Huff Post was throwing not throwing out your credit as well.
0: Oh, the, the Huff Post knocks <laughs> us off, and Snopes.com stole a headline from us.
4: Ooh. Brutal. We'll give you yeah. credit for anything. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Yeah, Snopes used the headline, uh, "Paku of Lies. <laughs> and that was my joke that I wrote, and they stole it. And I, and I emailed them, and I said, hey, you guys, great article, totally accurate. Except for one problem, I wrote the headline. Here's the citations. Can I please have my citations? No response. So screw you, Snopes.
4: That is part of the
0: Paku of Lies. <laughs> mm-hmm. And usually I like Snopes. But well, we're excited for the uh, Zombait guys. And actually, I'm going to reach out to them and see if I can get them back on the show now that they're hit the big time. We'll
4: yeah, s- we're pulling for
0: them too now. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. yeah, yeah. So, for, so on our show, Zombaits has been on our show. Um, have you heard of Line Cutters? I have heard of Line Cutters. Yeah, it's a, it's a ring that cuts fishing line. They were on our show and they went on Shark Tank and got an investment. The uh, World Record Striper Company has been on our show and they've got a deal on Shark Tank. Who else? Oh, um, Fish a Call has been on our show and got a deal on Shark Tank.
4: Uh, which yeah. is
0: a device put in the water, and it attracts fish, and you catch more fish that way. So we are the, the stepping stone for all the big-time everythings,
5: including... Well, another, another reason we're grateful to be here.
0: Yeah, including you guys. So, and that's the only good news tonight. Here's some bad news. Ooh. From the Times leader in uh, Pennsylvania, man killed by fish and boat officer had history of run-ins with law enforcement. Uh, court records for a man killed by a Pennsylvania fish and boat officer along the Susquehanna River on Tuesday revealed numerous run-ins with law enforcement, including an escape from the Luzerne County Correctional Facility. Sean Bohinsky, 37, uh, was fatally shot by, uh, by a waterways conservation officer after a fight broke out between the two near the Canal Street Park. From the headline, I thought the boat killed him. <laughs> so
4: That's what I thought.
0: Man killed by fish and boat.
4: That's
0: right. Too bad. Yeah. (laughs) That's actually less interesting now that I know he got shot.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it sounded like
4: the fish made the first hit.
0: I know. This is why you should always read your news before you read your news. I'm actually not going to read the rest of it now because it's so sad. But I I thought the boat had killed him or a fish had killed him, and that's how he'd want to go. But being shot by a conservation officer, that's just that's no fun that's, yeah that's sad Sorry to bring you guys down no,
5: that's all
0: right <laughs> That's the saddest thing i've ever done all right this is from the san francisco weekly and the headline is won't somebody please think of the koi fish now we hear the fishners love the koi fish a few weeks ago we had the band uh the koi division on the show did you guys hear that one
4: i, I heard that one yeah, yeah. We're, we're a fan of uh fishing inspired lyrics as well
0: um, yeah <laughs> what's your favorite fish inspired lyric
5: uh, take me to the river by sung by big mouth billy bass was always my favorite
0: <laughs> i like that he's the original artist
5: yeah yeah
4: yeah it's, it's perfect good answer. thank you <laughs> all right yes I, I say uh, yeah quick plug uh we did a <laughs> um we did a blog post reimagining some chain lyrics as inspired by fishing and uh through reddit we we managed to get them to look at it, and uh, that's been actually fisher guiding's uh biggest source of traffic was uh an overnight sensation of uh the chain smokers looking at our blog post on facebook live and uh that's fantastic how do you know they looked at it uh they were they were looking at it during a reddit a m a and oh no kidding uh, it' was something we were we kind of did I wrote this post like at night. While I was uh, listening to some chain smokers and working on Fisher Guiding and just a fun idea for um, an hour or so and kind of uh, threw it out there and wouldn't have thought that it uh, would have done us much good. It was just something fun early on in our uh, venture and turned out to be really cool. It's always the dumbest things at work. You never know.
0: <laughs> some things you work really hard on, no one cares about, and then you're messing around with something silly like that, and it catches on.
4: Yeah, you got to get lucky with some things. You, we yeah, all deserve to little get little
0: lucky. Ash. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so think of the koi fish. <clears throat> In animal rescue news that few saw coming out of the North Bay fires, animal groups also took koi fish under their fins, they announced on Wednesday. Sonoma County Animal Services now holds more than 130 koi fish. That were called in from eight homes until they can be reunited with their owners. The American Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals partnered with the county to remove bulk the bulk of those fish on Tuesday. In the push to offer resources to displaced owners unable to care for their animals, families contacted the groups to help care for the fish. ASPSA says without the removal effort, the koi fish would have been left without food and functioning aeration system to keep them alive. So this is nice. They took all these koi fish home. Now it's funny. You don't think about fish rescues when you think about forest fires. Yeah. has you ever been involved in a big fire?
5: I lived in Montana when I was ten. So, yes, <laughs> and there was uh, just just for a, a little while, and um, but it was really, it was really <laughs> that season. So um, somewhat familiar, but but not. I mean, that was really my only experience. But it was it was pretty crazy. Um, what it was seeing it.
0: It's, it's a pretty massive. Now, I, I wouldn't even think about the koi fish. I think it's neat that people gave that kind of thought to it. The thing about koi fish is if they get in a different water body, they're completely invasive and they're terrible. And so it might not be a bad thing to let them go. But at the same time, as an empathetic person, you kind of want to see them get rescued too. So it's kind of a kind of a hard dichotomy to balance.
4: Yeah, I'm. Wa- I'm wondering if these are the uh, koi fish in like the backyard ponds. That's what it sounds like, okay, and that's yeah. why
0: they're saying reunite with their owners. Because I think if they were wild in, in ponds, they wouldn't have been able to get to them.
4: Well, this is a a big uh, uplifting story. This is well needed after that last one.
0: I know after the after I, the, I brought you down with shooting people, so sorry about that. But I, I you know, personally, they're just koi fish. <laughs> so that's. I that's, how the, that's how I come down.
5: I listened to the segment about uh, the koi fishing in Kansas City.
0: Yeah, with Jeff Danielson. Yeah, yeah
5: it was yeah. surprising how, how difficult. I've never, I haven't caught carp, but, and I've heard about how tough they are, but it's crazy hearing uh, everything that had to happen.
0: Well, it's, it's really weird. Is, is no, I've, I went, once went on a quest to catch and eat every kind of freshwater fish in New Hampshire. And one of the hardest fish to catch was a goldfish. And it was the same reason. No matter what you did, you kept catching every other kind of fish. so it its just it's really tricky because they're not they're not that aggressive, like you know, like a bluegill or a bass or a, a, a catfish. so they' they are challenging. Did uh, you but catch them all? I, I did I caught them all and we ate them all as well. Yeah, that's awesome. yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, there was forty eight species, and not all were good, but all were really cool and interesting. and uh, and that's how that, that's just, that's kind of the origin story of the fish nerds that's where we came from. That's our roots.
4: How's, how's that work out as a diet? Uh, as a
0: diet, well, you get high mercury levels and brain damage, yeah. so it's perfect. <laughs> we got to get on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially in Queens. <laughs> perfect, yeah. <laughs> Here, the East River is great this time. You know, I lived on Governor's Island as a kid, and we used to fish for bluefish right off the island. We'd get them, and my mom would cook them.
5: Yeah, we, we, ate some, uh, we had some bluefish this past year. Uh, not this past year. We caught some bluefish this past year, but I ate some last year. Out of the Hudson? Uh, off of uh, Massachusetts, off Nantucket.
4: Well, that's different. Yeah. <laughs> we cooked. We cooked the bluefish uh, this summer, caught on uh, in the Long Island Sound. Uh,
5: it was the right? bogey. We,
4: yeah, we cooked. We cooked the bluefish too, actually, and uh, we oh, cooked right. it. So we made the fatal mistake of, uh, well, not fatal, but close. I think we froze it one night and then tried to cook it the next day, and uh, it even made the dog sick. So. <laughs> Uh, yes, eating
0: bluefish, click. Yeah, they're fresher the better. Now we ate. I remember. I I don't remember much. I was in seventh grade, but I remember my mom putting it on the plate and this rainbow oil slick coming out of the meat onto the plate. Ooh. So that's my Ooh. my my East River bluefish uh, eating adventure. And I, I don't recall if I got sick or not, but I know I was grossed out. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And this this last story, I'm not going to read the whole thing of. This is um, from Scientific America. And I really like the title. It's, are all fish the same shape if you stretch them out? And I don't know if you guys had a chance to look at this or not.
4: Hmm. Not yet.
0: No, but you should you should visit this. I'll put links up at fishnerds.com. But Darcy Thompson and, Victor, uh, and the Victorian tale of the magnum opus on growth and form. And, and I'm not going to read you the article, but basically they took all these fishes and they laid them out on a grid and they determined that if you stretch the grid just right, all fish are exactly the same. <laughs> That's simple that.
5: Even like even like the look down fish or the permit that have the super slant forwarded Yeah, forehead. That's crazy.
0: Yeah, and they, they one of the one of the drawings on the website is they take an ocean sunfish and they stretch it until it's the same as like a bass. Even though they're such very, very different fish, it's all about perspectives and stuff. And this is actually an older, older concept, but uh, it just struck me as ridiculous because pretty near, if you change the shape of anything, it'll look like something else. If <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah, you it enough, would stretch me to look like a fish. <laughs> you would look just like a fish.
5: I've seen. Yeah, um, I've seen it on Photoshop.
0: Yeah, just stretch to match. So, and that's from Scientific American. I'm not going to read the whole story, but this is a kind of visual story. So that's why I'm not going to share the whole thing. But I think people should go and look at that website and look at the photos and decide for yourself if your catfish looks like your pogey or if your pogey looks like your American eel and see if you can stretch fish. Or even better yet, next time you catch a fish, stretch it until it looks like something else. That'll be the
4: parting the <laughs> advice. We stretch all our fish to make them look bigger on Instagram. <laughs> that's exactly. We're just holding it closer to the uh,
0: camera. The Pennsylvania push out is that what it's called
5: that's uh what what we've been one of our buddies has said that yeah
0: i love it so now it's pennsylvania push out have you heard of um you'll like this uh luke because you're from chicago but if you're fishing and you catch a fish and as you're unhooking someone can take your fishing spot if they yell chicago and then cast in your hole or in your spot Mm -hmm. and the reason that is is because the high crime (laughs) so what they can do is they can steal your fishing spot
4: oh yelling chicago Ah, that hurts.
0: <laughs> so you're welcome.
4: I'll, I'll do it to you, though.
0: Yeah, you should totally do it. We do that ice fishing it hurts, all the but time. It's true. Yeah, and I and I teach that to kids, so they know to make fun of Chicago. <laughs> fair is fair. All right. Uh, so hey, Luke Campbell, Edward Hill from FisherGuiding.com. Thank you so much for coming on the show this week.
5: Yeah, thank you so much for letting us be a
4: part of it. It's awesome.
0: Yeah, no problem. Any any parting thoughts? What's any one last thing you want nerds to think about as uh, as we exit this?
4: Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having us. And uh, we're looking forward to working with you through Fisher Guiding and hopefully getting you some trips soon. And uh, we would say if you're a guide out there, uh, be like Clay. Go yeah. guiding. We'll help yeah. you get more trips. And uh, if you're a user, uh, an angler, just look in the book of fish, fishing trip uh, anywhere, reach out to us. If we don't have an option, we'll work hard to find you one and get you set up. <laughs> Okay, and we're back. So
0: are you ready for the number one most feared fish in the world? And this is not this is yeah. true. This is the number one scariest fish on the planet. Wow. yeah, now when you think scary fish, a lot of people think great white shark, they think piranhas. Oh. you don't, but a lot of people do. Uh, and the truth is, the scariest fish, most feared fish in the world is a tiny fish that only gets to be just a few centimeters long. Weird. Yeah, like an inch and a half long, and it's called the kandiru, right? It's a scaleless parasitic catfish uh, found in the Amazon River. It's translucent, eel-like, and it grows to a length of 2.5 centimeters, one inch. Uh, a candiru feeds on blood and is commonly found in the gill cabbage of other fishes, but sometimes it attacks humans. Now, here is the story, Zoe. Wait do you hear I'm this. I'm listening. All right. So, do you ever go swimming? Yes. Do you ever pee in the water when you're swimming? Yes. Oh, yes. It's awesome, right? Everyone pees in the water when they're swimming. If they say they don't, they are liars, right? Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, we're going to get people emailing me saying, I don't pee in the water. Guess what? What are they? They
1: pee in the water. They're
0: liars. That's right. So, but it is said that this little fish uh, is attracted to the smell of urine. And if you're peeing in the water and you're not wearing a bathing suit... And your where it is, it will be attracted to the pee smell, and will swim up your pee hole, and it will latch itself in there and become a parasite in your pee hole.
1: Inside? Would you never have to go to the bathroom again?
0: It will clog you up and get you a big infection, and eventually you will die. The most scary fish in the world. Do you believe so it? Never
1: go into the bathroom in the Amazon River.
0: That's right. That's the motto. <laughs> That's my new motto. Never swim never swim in the Amazon River.
1: I'd swim in the Amazon River any day. You swim pee in it? Yeah. Alright. Even though I would probably pee.
0: I would wear really tight plastic underwear.
1: I uh curl bathing suits already
0: do that um, oh okay just don't <laughs> swim naked alright <laughs> uh, once the animal is in your in your pee hole it erects a short sponge on its gill covers and uh, it causes inflammation hemorrhages and even death to your victim so don't ever uh, pee in the Amazon River that's really important now mm-hmm. do you think this has happened people die from this fish yes uh, I, I like think if you google this you're going to find time. this to be one of those stories that sounds more true than it is
1: oh okay yeah.
0: I'm not saying it never happens I'm just saying it probably doesn't happen. Yeah, I know. Alright. So hey, we're done. We made the whole show already. Can you believe
1: that? Yes.
0: Did you learn anything? Yes. Yeah, you learned about nuts. You learned about fish that go up pee holes. You learned about electric I learned eels. That
1: most a lot some of the most scariest people think catfish family. Uh, you know it is scary.
0: I think that's a very good uh, thing to notice and catfish can hurt you. So that's really? great. Yeah. We just talked about something. Wow. Wow, that's right. All right. So that's it. You've listened to a bunch of fish nerds when you should have been fishing.
1: We would like to thank our families for supporting us while we podcast, go on fishing quests, and doing all sorts of silly things that nerds do.
0: Special thanks to Doc Martin, Hugo Medeiros, the guys from FisherGuiding.com, and of course, all of our Patreon supporters, especially our newest one. Bethany, thank you so much. So until next time, follow the code of the fish nerds.
1: Spawn early and often.
0: Avoid free lunches with strings attached.
1: Swim against this current every chance you get.
0: All right. Hey, thank you, Zoe.
1: You're welcome. Okay.